Hi, and welcome to Fado, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. Welcome to the other side of Halloween. I hope you had a good time with all of that creepy content. I certainly had a good time getting it out there for you. It was a pretty breakneck pace, to be honest, but we got there. After all of that, I thought it was time to come back to one of our recurring subjects as we start into November and the holidays. Let's do another chapter in the saga of King Arthur. Today, we're talking about one of Arthur's major supporting players. Queen Morgan Le Fay is a tricky one. She is well known for playing both ends against the middle, and this story is a prime example. We'll talk a little more about her in a few minutes, but first... Let's get to the story. And now, as retold by Beatrice Clay in 1920 in Stories from Lamorte d'Arthur and the Mabinosian, On the Treachery of Morgan Le Fay. There was a certain queen whose name was Morgan Le Fay, and she was a powerful sorceress. Little do men know of her save that in her youth, She was eager for knowledge, and, having learnt all human lore, turned her to magic, becoming so skilled therein that she was feared of all. There was a time when great was her enmity toward King Arthur, so that she plotted his ruin not once only, nor twice, and that is a strange thing, for it is said that she herself was the kinswoman of the king. And truly, in the end, she repented of her malice, for she was of those who came to bear Arthur to the delightful islands from the field of his last bitter conflict. But that was long after. Now when this enchantress learned how the Lady of the Lake had given the king a sword and scabbard of strange might, she was filled with ill will, and all her thought was only how she might wrest the weapon from him and have it for her own to bestow as she would. Even while she pondered thereon, the king himself sent her the scabbard to keep for him, for Merlin never ceased to warn the king to have in safe keeping the scabbard that had power to keep him from mortal hurt. And it seemed to Arthur that none might better guard it for him till the hour of need than Morgan Le Fay, the wise queen that was of his own kindred. Yet was not the queen shamed for her treacherous intent by the trust that Arthur had in her, but all her mind was set on how she might win to the possession of the sword itself, as well as of the scabbard. At the last, so had her desire for the sword wrought upon her, she resolved to compass the destruction of the king that, if she gained the sword, might never she have need to fear his justice for the wrong she had done. And her chance came soon. For on a day King Arthur resolved to chase the hart in the forests near Camelot, wherefore he left behind him the sword Excalibur, and took but a hunting spear with him. All day long he chased a white hart, and when evening fell he had far outstripped his attendants, save only two, Sir Accolon of Gaul and Sir Uriens, King of Gore, the husband of Queen Morgan le Fay herself. So when the king saw that darkness had come upon them in the forest, He turned to his companion, saying, "'Sirs, we be far from Camelot, and must lodge as we may this night. "'Let us go forward until we shall find where we may shelter us a little.' 
So they rode forward, and presently Arthur espied a little lake glinting in the beams of the rising moon, and as they drew nearer, they descried, full in the moonlight, a little ship, all hung with silks even to the water's edge. Then said the king to his knights, Yonder is a promise of shelter, or, it may be, of adventure. Let us tether our horses in the thicket, and enter into this little ship. And when they had done so, presently they found themselves in a fair cabin all hung with silks and tapestries, and in its midst a table spread with the choicest fare. And being weary and hungered with the chase, they ate of the feast prepared, and, lying down to rest, were soon sunk in deep slumber. While they slept, the little ship floated away from the land, and it came to pass that a great wonder befell. For when they woke in the morning, King Uriens found himself at home in his own land, and Sir Accolon was in his own chamber at Camelot. But the king lay a prisoner, bound and fettered and weaponless, in a noisome dungeon that echoed to the groans of hapless captives. When he was come to himself, King Arthur looked about him and saw that his companions were knights in the same hard case as himself, and he inquired of them how they came to be in that plight. Sir, said one of them, we are in duress in the castle of a certain recreant knight, Sir Damas by name, a coward false to chivalry. None love him, and so no champion can he find to maintain his cause in a certain quarrel that he has in his hand. For this reason he lies in wait with a great company of soldiers for any knights that may pass his way, and taking them prisoners, holds them in captivity unless they will undertake to fight to the death in his cause. And this I would not, nor any of my companions here, but unless we be speedily rescued, we are all like to die of hunger in this loathsome dungeon. What is his quarrel? asked the king. That we none of us know, answered the knight. While they yet talked, there entered the prison a damsel. She went up to the king at once, and said, Knight, will ye undertake to fight in the cause of the lord of this castle? That I may not say, replied the king, unless first I may hear what is his quarrel. That ye shall not know, replied the damsel. But this I tell you, if ye refuse, ye shall never leave this dungeon alive, but shall perish here miserably. This is a hard case, said the king, that I must either die or fight for one I know not, and in a cause that I may not hear. Yet on one condition will I undertake your lord's quarrel, and that is that he shall give me all the prisoners bound here in this dungeon. It shall be as ye say, answered the damsel, and ye shall also be furnished with horse and armor and sword than which ye never saw better. Therewith the damsel bade him follow her, and brought him to a great hall where presently there came to him squires to arm him for the combat. And when their service was rendered, the damsel said to him, Sir knight, even now there has come one who greets you in the name of Queen Morgan le Fay, and bids me tell you that the queen, knowing your need, has sent you your good sword. Then the king rejoiced greatly, for it seemed to him that the sword that the damsel gave him was none other than the good sword Excalibur. When all was prepared, the damsel led King Arthur into a fair field, and there he beheld awaiting him a knight, all sheathed in armor, his visor down, and bearing a shield on which was no blazonry. So the two knights saluted each other, and, wheeling their horses, rode away from each other some little space. Then, turning again, 
they laid lance in rest, and rushing upon each other encountered with the noise of thunder, and so great was the shock that each knight was borne from the saddle. Swiftly they gained their feet, and drawing their swords, dealt each other great blows, and thus they contended fiercely for some while. But as he fought, a great wonder came upon Arthur, for it seemed to him that his sword, that had never failed him, bit not upon the armor of the other, while every stroke of his enemy drew blood, till the ground on which he fought was slippery beneath his feet, and at the last almost his heart failed within him, knowing that he was betrayed, and that the brand with which he fought was not Excalibur. Yet would he not show aught of what he suffered, but struggled on, faint as he was and spent, so that they that watched the fight and saw how he was sore wounded marveled at his great courage and endurance. But presently the stranger knight dealt the king a blow which fell upon Arthur's sword, and so fierce was the stroke that the blade broke off at the pommel. Knight, said the other, thou must yield thee recreant to my mercy. That may I not do with my honor, answered the king, for I am sworn to fight in this quarrel to the death, but weaponless thou must needs be slain. Slay me and ye will, but think not to win glory by slaying a weaponless man. Then was the other wroth to find himself still withstood, and in his anger he dealt Arthur a great blow. But this the king shunned, and rushing upon his foe, smote him so fiercely on the head with the pommel of his broken sword, that the knight swayed and let slip his own weapon. With a bound Arthur was upon the sword, and no sooner had he it within his grasp than he knew it, of a truth, to be his own sword Excalibur. Then he scanned more closely his enemy, and saw the scabbard that he wore was none other than the magic scabbard of Excalibur, and forthwith, leaping upon the knight, he tore it from him, and flung it far afield. "'Knight,' cried King Arthur, "'ye have made me suffer sore, but now is the case changed, and ye stand within my power, helpless and unarmed. And much I misdoubt me, but that treachery ye have dealt with me. Nevertheless, yield you recreant, and I will spare your life.' That I may not do, for it is against my vow, so slay me if you will. Of a truth, ye are the best knight that I ever encountered. Then it seemed to the king that the knight's voice was not unknown to him, and he said, Tell me your name and what country ye are of, for something bids me think that ye are not all unknown to me. I am Acalon of Gaul, knight of King Arthur's round table. Ah, Acalon, Acalon, cried the king. Is it even thou that hast fought against me? Almost hast thou undone me. What treason tempted thee to come against me, and with mine own weapon too? When Sir Accolon knew that it was against King Arthur that he had fought, he gave a loud cry and swooned away utterly. Then Arthur called to two stout yeomen amongst those that had looked on at the fight, and bade them bear Sir Accolon to a little hermitage hard by, and thither he himself followed with pain, being weak from loss of blood. But into the castle he would not enter, for he trusted not those that held it. The hermit dressed their wounds, and presently, when Sir Accolon had come to himself again, the king spoke gently to him, bidding him say how he had come to bear arms against him. "'Sir and my lord,' answered Sir Accolon, "'it comes of naught but the treachery of your kinswoman, Queen Morgan le Fay. For on the morrow after we had entered upon the little ship, I awoke in my chamber at Camelot, and greatly I marveled how I had come there. And as I yet wondered, 
There came to me a messenger from Queen Morgan Le Fay, desiring me to go to her without delay. And when I entered her presence, she was as one sore troubled, and she said to me, Sir Accolon, of my secret power, I know that now is our king, Arthur, in great danger, for he lies imprisoned in a great and horrible dungeon, whence he may not be delivered unless one be found to do battle for him with the lord of the castle. Wherefore I sent for you that ye may take the battle upon you for our lord the king. And for greater surety, I give you here Excalibur, Arthur's own sword, for, of a truth, we should use all means for the rescuing of our lord. And I, believing this evil woman, came hither and challenged the lord of this castle to mortal combat, and indeed I deemed it was with Sir Damas that I fought even now. Yet all was treachery, and I misdoubt me that Sir Damas and his people are in league with Queen Morgan Le Fay to compass your destruction. But, my lord Arthur, pardon me, I beseech you, the injuries that all unwitting I have done you. King Arthur was filled with wrath against the queen, more for the wrong done to Sir Accolon than for the treason to himself. In all ways that he might, he sought to comfort and relieve Sir Accolon, but in vain, for daily the knight grew weaker, and after many days he died. Then the king, being recovered of his wounds, returned to Camelot, and calling together a band of knights, led them against the castle of Sir Damas. But Damas had no heart to attempt to hold out, and surrendered himself and all that he had to the king's mercy. And first King Arthur set free those that Damas had kept in miserable bondage, and sent them away with rich gifts. When he had righted the wrongs of others, then he summoned Sir Damas before him, and said, I command thee that thou tell me why thou didst seek my destruction. And cringing low at the king's footstool, Damas answered, I beseech you, deal mercifully with me, for all that I have done, I have done at the bidding of Queen Morgan Le Fay. A coward's plea, said the king. How camest thou first to have traffic with her? Sir, replied Damas, much have I suffered, first by the greed of my younger brother, and now by the deceit of this evil woman, as ye shall hear. When my father died, I claimed the inheritance as of right, seeing that I was his elder son. But my younger brother, Sir Onslake, withstood me, and demanded some part of my father's lands. Long since, he sent me a challenge to decide our quarrel in single combat, but it liked me ill, seeing that I'm of no great strength. Much, therefore, did I desire to find a champion, but by ill fortune none could I find until Queen Morgan Le Fay sent word that, of her good will to me, she had sent me one that would defend my cause. And that same evening a little ship brought you, my lord, to my castle. And when I saw you I rejoiced, thinking to have found a champion that would silence my brother forever, nor knew I you for the king's self. Wherefore I entreat you, spare me, and avenge me on my brother." Therewith Sir Damas fawned upon the king, but Arthur sternly bade him rise and send messengers to bring Sir Onslake before him. Presently there stood before the king a youth, fair and of good stature, who saluted his lord and then remained silent before him. Sir Onslake, said the king, I have sent for you to know of your dealings with Sir Accolon, and of your quarrel with your brother. My lord Arthur, answered the youth, that I was the cause of hurt to yourself, I pray you pardon me, for all unwitting was I of evil. 
for ye shall know that I had challenged my brother to single combat, but when word came to me that he was provided of a champion, I might not so much as brook my armor for a sore wound that I had got of an arrow shot at me as I rode through the forest near his castle. And as I grieved for my hard case, there came a messenger from Queen Morgan le Fay, bidding me of good courage, for she had sent unto me Sir Accolon, who would undertake my quarrel. This only she commanded me, that I should ask no question of Sir Accolon. So Sir Accolon abode with me that night, and, as I supposed, fought in my cause the next day. Sure am I that there is some mystery, yet may I not misdoubt my lady Queen Morgan le Fay without cause, wherefore, if blame there be, let me bear the punishment. Then was the king well pleased with the young man for his courage and loyalty to others. Fair youth, said he, ye shall go with me to Camelot, and if ye prove you brave and just in all your doings, ye shall be of my round table. But to Sir Damas he said sternly, Ye are a mean-spirited varlet, unworthy of the degree of knighthood. Here I ordain that ye shall yield unto your brother the moiety of the lands that ye had of your father, and in payment for it yearly shall receive of Sir Onslake a palfrey, for that will befit you better to ride than the knightly war-horse. And look ye well to it, on pain of death, that ye lie no more in wait for errant knights, but amend your life and live peaceably with your brother. Thereafter the fear of the king kept Sir Damas from deeds of violence, yet to the end he remained cowardly and churlish, unworthy of the golden spurs of knighthood. But Sir Onslake proved him a valiant knight, fearing God and the king, and naught else. This is a fun story, getting to watch how Morgan Le Fay sets events in motion, using the expectations and situations of so many different people to accomplish a goal. This is really a chess game she's playing. Now, of course, because Arthur is the hero of the story, he does eventually unravel her web of deceit, but not before there are some serious consequences. Poor Acalon, we hardly knew ye. I think Morgan Le Fay, also sometimes known as Morgana, Morgane, and quite a few other versions of the name, is a really interesting character. As we heard in this story, she's not exactly Arthur's friend or his enemy. She's family, possibly. And we know that she was among Arthur's retinue when he was taken away, wounded from his final battle. She's duplicitous and self-serving, but also, if her interests align with Arthur's, She's a strong ally. This kind of character is always interesting to me, a villain that isn't averse to working with the hero so long as there is a common problem. But once that problem is resolved, watch your back. It doesn't help matters either that Morgan Le Fay is a great and powerful sorceress. So, with most characters, I start by looking into the origin of their name. And with Morgan Le Fay, it gets a little complicated. But the earliest place we see her name is about 1150 in Geoffrey of Monmouth's Life of Merlin, which is a poem that was written in Latin, and Morgan Le Fay is simply called Morgan. And it might be an old Breton word for seaborn, but her name could also stem from the Celtic. The Morrigan is a character from Irish mythology, and that name could come from Old English, Scandinavian, and or Slavic roots. 
the Scandinavian word Mera and the Slavic Regan translates to something like Queen of Nightmares. Now, I mentioned nightmares a long time ago, and I promise they're coming back around. Also, as far as the origin of Le Fay, her seeming title or last name, it seems as though it stems from the French and means the fairy, or possibly the fairy-like, meaning that she possesses certain qualities of fey creatures. Based on what I've read, Morgan Le Fay shows up in earlier Arturian stories and then kind of fades out in popularity, only to see a resurgence in much more recent tales. But she has a rich, very involved presence in the legends, far too much to cover entirely in one episode. For now, suffice it to say that her very first appearance in writing is from the poem that I mentioned, The Life of Merlin, where she is purported to know all kinds of healing herbs, and to be able to shapeshift at will, and to fly from one place to the other with wings like Daedalus. Now, I'm not sure if that means she just has wings, or if she actually built herself a pair like Daedalus. She teaches math to her sisters, and after Arthur was terribly wounded, his healing was entrusted to her care. That's really quite a set of powers, all things magical and scientific. Morgan Le Fay is definitely a force to be reckoned with, and I'm sure we'll see more from her. I really can't wait to get into some more Arthurian stories, and right now I'm just reading a set of stories from a single book, but there are a lot more sources out there. For now, though, let's leave it at that. Now, if you're having fun listening to Fido, you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Amazon. Don't forget to share and leave a review if you like what you're hearing. If you leave me comments or questions, I might even be able to read them on the air. You can also keep up and follow me on Facebook as well as Instagram. I'm at Fido Podcast. If you want to support me more directly, you can become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and also merch. I have stickers, and if you become a patron, I can guarantee you one in your membership letter. That's right, I'll send you a personally handwritten note in the mail with a sticker. Also, if you join, you'll get a mention here on the show. Speaking of which, I'd like to say hello to my newest patron, Justin Strawn. Thank you very much, Justin, for your support. You have my eternal and undying gratitude. Watch for that envelope in the mail. That brings us to the end of episode 29. Watch for episode 30 coming out on November 15th. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time.